Okay, so my, uh, I've been uh, two week. I've been trying to get a Christmas gift for the staff. Nancy and our Christmas gift for the staff, and it just came in yesterday. Do, do you all want to see what the staff are getting? Yeah, of course you do. That's why I brought it up here. Here's, here it is. Ready? T-shirt. Isn't that cool? Redeemer staff. And then here's what it says. Best damn church staff in the world. Oh, yeah. Unapologetically, absolutely. Okay, so... Um, What are we going to do? We're, we're, we're starting a new preaching series for the winter and the spring. Uh, but did you notice this week that the church and the state were mirroring each other this week? Did you notice that? Of course, you know all about the drama that was going on in the House of Representatives right over the speaker. Uh, well, there's also drama in the church. Uh, someone not to be named uh, to protect them withdrew their vote. And so uh, the preaching plan for Redeemer has been thrown into chaos. Yes, I know, it's catastrophic. Uh, remember, there was a three-way, duly elected three-way tie over Proverbs, Isaiah, and the life of David. So the withdrawing of this vote completely created an absolute preaching scandal now in the church. The tie is broken. There's no more three. Uh, what book is it? Because I know everybody's very, very interested in what book it is. Well, the, the book that lost the vote is, is Proverbs, Lady Wisdom, Ancient and Modern Quotes, a book on how to live, right? Uh, what was the reason for the withdrawal of the vote? Now, I actually am very sympathetic and agree with the reason. It is hard for young people to keep two books together at the same time. I mean, did the big fish swallow Jonah or Peter? Everyone wants to know, and sometimes young people have a harder time. So I, I sympathize with it. So what are we going to do? We're going to do a slight adjustment. What we're going to do is we're still going to preach through those books, but we're not going to do it simultaneously. We're going to do it consecutively. So first, we're going to do a four to six sermon series on Proverbs. Then we're going to do a four to six sermon series on Isaiah. And then we're going to do a four to six sermon series on the life of David. And that way, um, I think the young people can keep it categorized where we're at. And a lot of the old people can too. So today we're going to start with Proverbs. Okay? Now, I had a study week last week to prepare for Proverbs. And in that study week, through lots of prayer and fasting, except when the monkey bread came around. I have decided, just so you know, I think you should know, I've decided to become a celebrity pastor. <laughs> yes. What does this mean? Well, this means blitzing social media with my face, with my skinny jeans, with my special anointed ministry, and with my very, very interesting life. Right? This also means that live streaming everything about me. In other words, what do I think about the Bible? What do I think about life change? What do I think about vaccines in January 6th? What do I think about the political culture of America? What do I think about the number one TV show in America right now, Yellowstone? What do I think about these things? What do I think about the carnivore diet? 
Right. What do I think about a cardiac event on Monday night football last Monday before millions of people? But also this means live stream what I think about things. Like, how do I feel about things? Like, how do I feel about my mental health? And how do I feel about my marriage? Get ready, honey. How do I feel about my kids? How do I feel about my awesomeness? And especially, what does Jeff's awesome day look like? Like when I get up, ding, right? Too early for you. When I have my quiet time, too disciplined for you. When I work out, oh, much too hard for you. When I have my meetings, they're too important for you. When I do my daily grind because it's too long for you. My life, it's the inspiration for you. Some of you might be wondering, how did Proverbs do this for you, Jeff? How did Proverbs bring you to this moment that you've decided to become a celebrity pastor? And the answer is, you already know the answer. You already know the answer because you long for the answer. You already know the answer because you must have the answer. You already know the answer because you and the rest of the church moves around and tries to do church to get the answer. You already know the answer because everyone experiences spiritual FOMO when they don't have the answer. You know the answer. Jeff, why did you become a celebrity pastor? Because Proverbs tells you what to do. Because Proverbs tells you how to live. Because Proverbs gives you good advice. Right? So I'm finally caving. <laughs> I'm finally going to be important. I'm finally going to make the big bucks. Welcome to the book of Proverbs. The question before us is, how do you live in a fallen world. Please stand for the reading of the text. Now, I have debated, like, I always debate. I always have this running dialogue with me when I'm preparing, like, how much, how much of the sweat in the text do I reveal? How much do I not? So I decided to put some of the sweat while we're reading it. This is an intro to Proverbs, so I got to kind of get you caught up to what it is, right? So here's what we're going to do. It says the Proverbs of Solomon, right? Son of David. So who is Solomon? Well, he's the son of David and Bathsheba. Remember, David stole Bathsheba from another man. He's the king of Israel. He's actually the last king to rule a united kingdom before they split to the northern kingdom, southern kingdom. All right. Uh, did Solomon, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand the words of insight? Let's just stay right there. We'll go back. Did Solomon write all these proverbs that we're going to look at? The answer is yes and no. Yes, he, he literally did a lot of it. But no, he obviously, there are other contributors. Uh, there are other people that collected. There's original people that had their original wise sayings, and, and they say it. People like uh, who do I have written down here? Hezekiah's men, two dudes named Augur and Lemel. And then there's people that, 
They collected wisdom because there's a lot of tweets and retweets going on in the ancient world, and those things get really popular, and they sound very wise, and they get collected and brought into Proverbs. But what you need to know is, so no, he doesn't literally do all of it, but yes, he is the redemptive revelatory agent at this time in the world. And you need to know that at this time in history, the Bible's one story. It's not two stories, three stories, four stories, five stories, six stories, ten stories. It's one story. And at this part in, this, in the story, Solomon sits at the central stage of all of redemptive history. In other words, Solomon is at the place where it's going to get as good as it's going to get before Jesus comes. The pattern of salvation is set. There's no more patterns being added. You have God with his king, with his people in a place. That's it. That's it. There's nothing else going to be added to that pattern. How do we know this? Because right after Solomon, there are two kings, two places, two gods. I mean, the woman at the well wanted to know that when she was talking to Jesus. So what you are at at Solomon, the reason why this is the explosion of wisdom is because the pattern of the gospel, the pattern of salvation has been set. The only thing that's waiting is its perfection. So when the pattern is set, of course, worship explodes, David. Of course, wisdom literature explodes, Solomon. Do you see where we are in the Bible? Okay. So this is the high water mark, Solomon, the high water mark of the redemptive story as much as you're going to get it in the Old Testament because then it just falls to pieces. All right, let's continue with verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands, let him obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, Lord, we thank you for this book, and we thank you for the reality of where it sits in the salvation story, in salvation history, or as theologians like to say, the redemptive historical framework. Uh, this is the high watermark. This is as good as it gets in the Old Testament. So, of course, we're going to get an explosion of wisdom and worship. And so, Lord, how much more is there an explosion of worship and wisdom with the perfection. So, O oh Lord, would you shine, Jesus? Would you shine on the page? And would, would the shining be unmistakable? Certainly mysterious, but absolutely breathtaking. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said... All right, so one of the major goals, I have a major goal in this series on Proverbs is to answer this question. Is Proverbs a Christian book? That's one of the major goals as we go through these four to six weeks. You need to be asking yourself that. 
is Proverbs a Christian book? If Proverbs, the answer, will determine whether I become a celebrity pastor or not. The answer will determine whether you become a healthy Christian or not. And those of you that are not Christians, you know what the answer does for you? It will determine whether you want to become a Christian or not. So is Proverbs a Christian book or not? That's the question. So much pressure, Jeff, I know. A lot of pressure on the book of Proverbs. Welcome to Proverbs. Here's the question. How do you live in a fallen world? We will be asking and answering that for four to six weeks. Proverbs says to you, so this is an introduction. Proverbs says to all of us right now, how do you live in a fallen world? Proverbs says you have three options. (laughs) So today, we're going to look at the three options of living in a fallen world. Here's option number one. It's called the control option. You try to control the fallen world. That's option number one. The most popular, the most popular idea or aspect of the control option is this. Be a good person. Be a moral person. Be an ethical person. Do you know that all the the Greek mythologies were always this cosmic tribunal or test to be a worthy person? an honorable person, a holy person. Be a good person. That's option number one. So the number one most popular control option is be a good person. And so we got to ask ourselves, well, what does that, how does that work to be a good person? So you need to think of it this way. Being a good person has the control and the power to override the bad in the world. So if you be a good person, you can override the bad in you. You can override the bad in the person sitting next to you. You can override the bad that goes on in your circumstances and in the world. Well, how do we know this? Like, what does this, for example, what does this look like? I get the, the, the idea. Well, it looks like this. All the Eastern religions of the world believe that being good brings good karma. In other words, when you're being good, you get the girl. When you're being good, you get the promotion. When you're being good, you get healed. When you're being good, you get peace or mindfulness, well-being. Being good gives you a good existence in the next life. Okay? Now, Americanism, still under this be good reality, is a little more blunt. We say it this way. Being good earns a reward. When you're being good, you earn the girl. When you're being good, you earn the promotion. When you're being good, you deserve to be healed. When you're being good, you deserve to connect to God and connect to God's blessings and connect to peace and well-being and have a better existence in the next life. Now, some of you are thinking, because I know you are thinking, you're saying, yeah, but I'm a Christian, Jeff. What what does this have to do with me? So um, on Tuesday this past week, uh, I was struggling to pray. 
And I think I just blew my celebrity status right there. Dang. I was struggling to pray. I mean, it was like, I was cold, like metallic is a good word. You know when you get the taste of like metal in your mouth? Blood, right? I had a metallic coldness in my heart. There was this sense of like disconnection and this complete self-consciousness. Like I couldn't get out from thinking about me. And so I tried and tried to warm up. I tried and tried to connect. I tried and tried to pray. And then it was so interesting. A day later, I'm driving to go see Emma's baby, Emma and Ryan's baby, Harper. And while I'm driving, it was just the craziest thing. And this is how it happens with me. It's like some of you wonder, how does God work in your life, Jeff? Since you're the celebrity pastor, you have authority on this matter. Well, here's how it works for me. Sometimes it's, it's, it's I'm driving, and it's like someone turns a light on. And while I'm driving, going to the hospital, the light was this. I literally was thinking, Jeff, you're not praying. You're trying to be good at prayer. And Proverbs says, prayer is just praying. It's not trying to be good at it. How do you live in a fallen world? Option number one, the control option. Try to control the fallen world. May I be so bold? Everyone, you know this, I know this, right? I mean, the pandemic says this. Everyone says this. A confused culture says this. A chaotic church says this. The experts are saying this. Um, the booming business of big pharma is saying this. I mean, if you ask the person next to you, they would say it. What are we saying? We live in a mentally unhealthy time. Does anyone disagree with that? No. I mean, all the psychology, everything that's coming out today is like the age of anxiety. The, the stats, the research, it's, it's so disturbing, especially among young people. Older people, I'm like, sorry, but the young people I have tremendous compassion for. Proverbs says, can we be so bold? Can I be so bold? Proverbs says to our culture, to what's going on right now, all of us, inside the church, outside the church, Proverbs says, trying and trying and trying to think better, trying and trying to feel better, trying and trying to be good in your inner person is insane. It's the very definition of insanity. It's foolishness. There's a better way, Proverbs says. So how? How do you live in a fallen world? Option number one, the control option. Try to control the fallen world. Option number two, the modern option. Well, what's the modern option? It's pretending the fallen world doesn't exist. It's pretending sin doesn't exist. Now, this is incredibly hard to do. And this is incredibly unhealthy. Why? Because 
everyone knows it's true. So just imagine what's happening here in the pretending world. It's delusional because you're pretending that something is true, but everyone knows it's not true. And so you end up dividing yourself, splitting yourself, a psychologist would say. We know, you know, something's wrong with me. You know it's true. Something's wrong with my sister. If you're a brother, you know something's wrong with your sister. And if you're a sister, you know something's wrong with your brother. This is not like earth-shattering news, right, kids? I mean, seriously. Bell, Ty, yeah. We know this is true. Something's wrong with the family. Something's wrong with marriage. Something's wrong with work. Something's wrong with money. Something's wrong with sex. Something's wrong with the state and that country over there. Something's wrong, even with the wildebeest and the weather. I mean, seriously, who likes cold weather? Only fallen people like cold weather. <laughs> Everybody knows that. Sorry, I watched a movie the other night on Netflix. <laughs> now listen, I am not like, what, did, what am I saying? Do I like comedies? No, I do not like comedies. I don't gravitate to comedies. I'm not the comedy kind of guy. I want intensity, I want action, I want drama, I want thrillers, I want to be scared. All right, so that's what I gravitate towards. But this night, it was a hard day. I think this was the prayer day. <laughs> And I want a comedy. So I look, you know, how you look on Netflix, and you can look underneath it. It says comedy. And I looked at the actors. I can't, like, the, now I can't tell you that you might guess maybe if you've seen it. But I'm like, okay, I want to laugh. I know that dude's funny. And I know that I don't know about the girl, but I know that dude's funny. So I hit it. It was not a comedy. What was it about? It was about the fear of death. And there were two unbelievable lines that came from the wife in the scene. The first thing she says is this. What does life mean? We're just marching towards non-existence, she says to her husband. And then at the end of the movie, it was absolutely breathtaking. I almost wanted to keep rewinding it and rewinding it and rewinding it. She says this. I love you, honey, she says to her husband. But I fear death more. comedy. It's like, it's like the whole world is groaning, even our comedies. Proverbs says, pretending the world isn't fallen is foolish. It's insane. There's another way. How do you live in a fallen world? So what do we have so far? Option number one, the control option. Try to control the fallen world. The number one most popular way to do that is be a good person. Somehow being a good person overrides the brokenness, overrides the fallenness in you and others in situations and in the world. Option number two is the modern option. That's pretend it isn't fallen. 
Now, that's obviously delusional because it's very hard to do because everyone deep down knows something's wrong. So it splits you. It creates this weird delusion, right? What's option number three? Option number three, according to Proverbs, is the wisdom option. So let's look at it. Verse two. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, and righteousness, justice, and equity. This is now social, relational wisdom. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. Let the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a wise saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Woo! Verses 1 through 6 are pile upon pile upon pile of words that all say the same thing. They're all telling you the purpose of Proverbs. Proverbs has a purpose. And what that means is when you come to Proverbs and you open it and you read it, when we come to Proverbs as a group here and we hear it and we get it preached to us, Proverbs has an agenda. Proverbs is going somewhere. Proverbs is taking you somewhere. Proverbs is doing something to you and me. Proverbs is getting something done in your life. This is so beautiful and so breathtaking because it means Proverbs doesn't need you to get it done. Many times we come to church, we come to the Bible, and we think we are preventing God or whatever from getting something done in our life. And the book of Proverbs says... You don't, you can't stop what I'm doing. I'm at work. So what is the agenda of Proverbs? And the answer from this, these texts is obvious, right? To give us wisdom, to give you wisdom. So here, how do you stop? This is breathtaking. How do you stop trying to control the fallen world in you, in others, in your situations and circumstance, at work, in what area of your life you care about, in your politics, in your ideologies, in the institution you work for, in the culture. How do you stop trying to control it? And Proverbs says, get wisdom. Gain wisdom. And I give it to you. So, How do you stop, those of us that might be in this camp, how do you stop pretending that the world isn't fallen? How do you break up that delusion? How do you unite what's splitting inside of you, others, the world, the culture? Proverbs says, get wisdom. Gain wisdom. I give you wisdom. All right, I've got to do like a major timeout right here because we're at the edge of the world. You didn't know it, but I just took us, this text just took us to the edge of the cosmic world. We are on the edge. What's next? Our next step is who knows? You just fall off. We have run out of textual terrain. We have run out of land underneath our feet. There is no more land out there. You are... I am at the edge of the world. Why? Because we've got to figure out what wisdom is. 
because Bible experts and church leaders and super saints and loser Christians and holy people and unholy people and skeptics and full faith Christians are all at this edge right now. And depending on how we define what is wisdom depends a lot. You can't go forward. Proverbs is supposed to give you wisdom. Proverbs is supposed to make you wise. Proverbs is supposed to heal you. But what is it? What is wisdom? Uh, the answer is found in our earlier question, which is, is Proverbs a Christian book? If Proverbs, if the answer is Proverbs is not a Christian book, then I can be a celebrity pastor. And I can tell you what to do. And I can inspire you with my awesomeness. And I can give you tons of good advice from Proverbs. And you can be an unhealthy Christian who will continue to try to control your Christian life and try to control your inner life and try to control your parenting and try to control your thoughts, your feelings, try to control your prayers, and you'll try to be good and be good and be good and be good. A good mom, a good dad, a good worker, a good whatever expectation you have of yourself. What image do you think about yourself when you think of I'm a good person or is it I'm a brave person or is it I'm a courageous person or I'm a strong person? Whatever that is, you're trying to be good at. You'll just keep doing that. Or you'll continue to pretend that there's not something really wrong with you. And so you'll just kind of take all this incredible stuff and Proverbs and get after it or reject it. And if you're not a Christian, you're going to continue to never know what Christianity really is. You're just going to go like I would do growing up. I just say, it's just another form, strategy of self-improvement. Is Proverbs a Christian book? If the answer is yes, then I'm called then I'm called to be a gospel preacher. And I'm called to give you the wonders of the wisdom of God, which is the person. And my mission is to give you the good news of the wisdom of God, the person. And you, if this, is good, if this is a Christian book, then you become a healthy Christian because only the wisdom of God, the person, can control and override and has the fallen world. The fallenness in you, the fallenness in your loved ones, the fallenness in all that goes on, it's broken in culture and institutions and ideologies and the way things work, the wildebeest and even the weather. And then those of you that aren't Christians, you will actually know, I know what Christianity is. It's good news. It's about the wisdom of God, the person.
Is Proverbs a Christian book? Look at verse 7. Let's put verse 7 up here. We'll end here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Just a little, oh, I can't help myself. Okay, so we're going to look at a lot of Proverbs, right? So literarily, it's called parallelism. What that means is you're going to have a first part and a second part. The first part's going to say something. What a Proverbs is going to do, it's going to have a second part, and it's going to be a parallelism. And it's either going to elaborate what it just said in the first part, contrast what just said in the first part, or give the answer to the first part. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fooled. Obviously a contrast. However, despise wisdom and instruction. That's obviously an elaboration of knowledge. So don't get confused when you see knowledge and wisdom and instruction. They're all saying the same thing. They're just piles and piles of words all about wisdom. All right. Notice the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, we could say. The fear of the Lord is not terror before a God, any kind of God. It's not shaking before some perfect being or any kind of being. In other words, wisdom is not building your messy life and your messy relationships around trauma. I've been in many churches where that's what it feels like. Trauma. I'm not, I got to stop. All right, the fear of the Lord is, though, however, some kind of response, some kind of thinking, some kind of feeling, some kind of experience, some kind of inner thing going on, some kind of doing and relating to Yahweh. Do you see that? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The Lord should be capitalized. In the Hebrew, it's capitalized, L-O-R-D, Yahweh. That is God's name, his innermost being, when he says, I want to reveal who I really am. I want you to know, Moses, who I really am. Moses says, who are you? i got to tell these people, who are you? I am Yahweh. It is a name that only is given to sinful people. It's a name only given to broken people, fallen people, messed up people. Yahweh is the good news name. Yahweh is the very being of God. His covenantal name, if you will, theologically. His personal name, as some theologians say. In other words, how do you get to the deep waters of God? What is God really, really like? He's not just a God, any kind of God. He's not just the most perfect being. Shudder, terror, shake. The fear of the Lord is a response, a thinking feeling. It's a complete being response to Yahweh, the good news God. Amazing. Bible experts agree. So let's just say it this way. So if it's not building your messy life and messy relationships around trauma, it's building your messy life and your relationships around a good news God. Experts agree. Bible experts all say Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is the Proverbs of the New Testament. Some of you have probably known that. If you've had any Bible classes, that's probably what ends up happening. 
So here's the picture. You've got tens of thousands of people listening to Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, there's standing room only. Everybody's straining to see him. It is absolutely, utterly silent so they can hear him. What's said about this sermon, what's said about what's happening, he teaches and he's teaching tens of thousands of people. People call this the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. This is the most legendary sermon in the history of the world. Imagine Jesus, God himself, preaching. The word that's being spoken, the word that's buzzing, everyone is astonished. But the question is, why are they astonished? The people that are out there have memorized the book of Proverbs. Memorized it. They know their Old Testament wisdom, but they're astonished. Do you know, how is Jesus going to conclude this epic sermon? How is he going to bring it to a close? What's he going to do? You know what he does? I love it. He tells a story about a wise builder and a foolish builder. So here we are in this majestic, unbelievable sermon. And everybody out there is familiar with wisdom literature. And he closes the Sermon on the Mount. All these incredible wise things that he's saying with a story about wisdom. How to be wise. It's brilliant. It's breathtaking. It's moving. It's powerful. But not because he says a bunch of wise things. It's because of what he says wisdom is. That's why they're astonished. They're not astonished because he just came in and sounded better than Plato or Socrates or Leonidas or Alexander the Great or Solomon or King David. It's because he completely defined wisdom in a way that was astonishing. He says, wisdom is my words. Wisdom is building a life on me. I am the wisdom of God. Buzz and astonishment. Paul says it clear just in case he comes alongside, he's reading the story, and this is what he says. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. That is righteousness, sanctification, redemption, so that just as it was written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Wisdom is the person. And it's that person's wonders, words, and work that brings righteousness, sanctification, which is the Christian life, redemption, which is complete deliverance. So that if we're going to boast in the book of Proverbs, we're going to boast in the person. How do you live in a fallen world? Control option, the modern option, the wise option. Learn to build your messy life, your messy relationships around the wisdom of God, the person, the rock. Amen.